Amen, church. Praise God. Praise God. Praise the Lord. I'm glad somebody can say hallelujah in here. Yes, Lord. Maybe some don't know that uh, hallelujah is the highest praise that can be offered. That being the case, God is worthy of praise every single day, isn't he? And we want to offer God our highest praise. We thank God for allowing us to be here today. We thank the Lord for health, life, breath, and strength. We thank the Lord that we woke up this morning in our right mind. And somehow or another, I was able to keep it up to this point. By God's grace and by his mercy. My intention and my goal is to be used by God. Until I have a tank that's not only empty, but on fumes. Because I think then it might be safe to say it's time to go home at that point. I didn't punch myself in and I'm not going to punch myself out. God punched me in and he'll be the one to punch me out. I thank the Lord for my family. I thank the Lord for this church. For the saints of God, as I said last time that I stood before you, I look forward to coming to church. I don't know about you. I do. Because as you go through the course of the week, dealing with all of the H-E double hockey stick out there, coming to church, that's like the closest thing to heaven that you're going to get all week. And the thing that makes it that way is not because we're inside these four walls, but it's because the children, the family of God are here present together. It's just a foretaste. Is that right? A foretaste of what is to come. And in case I just have not had an opportunity to tell each and every one of you individually, let me say collectively, I love you all. We love you. I love you. You've been a blessing to me and my family in different ways, ways that you don't even know about. And for that, I do want to say Thank you. I wasn't sure if I should come up here this morning or not because it sounded to me like there was an introduction that was being made that was for somebody else. I am not anywhere close to being perfect. He's still working on me every single day, but I do appreciate the words from my father-in-law and also my father in the gospel. Let's just open up with a word of prayer because we got some ground to cover here and I don't intend to be before you long and my hope is that I will not be before you too long but long enough let's pray your kind and gracious heavenly father we thank you lord once again for your goodness we thank you for your mercy your loving kindness to us each and every one of us individually and collectively lord as a body of believers we thank you lord god for every one who is represented here, every household that is represented, every family that is represented here within the building and those that are on Zoom, Lord, those that had a desire to be with us but were unable to. We ask right now that you would touch them near and far, wherever they might be, 
We ask now in the name of Jesus that you would go before us on this day, Lord God, use this, your humble servant, this lump of clay, Lord, that you have formed and fashioned into a man, Lord, that I might speak your word, that I might speak it only adding nothing to it or taking anything away, Lord. We ask right now, Lord God, that every single one of us might be hearers of your word, but not just hearers only, but also doers as well. We ask right now that your word would go forth and accomplish that which you have purposed and not return void. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we ask. Lord, we pray, Lord, and we thank you. Amen. Amen. You may uh, be seated. Because I do not have just one scripture text today, I'm not going to have you stand through the whole message, which is what I would have to do, because I will be reading from different passages. And you can say thank you for that for now, if you'd like to. All right. A message that the Lord has laid upon my heart and has laid upon my heart for quite a while now. And actually, it was one that was confirmed uh, to me many, many times within the last couple of weeks. Uh, Elder C. Wright came from a passage in Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And then he went from 18 on down to the end. And I am so glad that I didn't have to go through all of that and don't have to go through all of that again this morning, but I will be touching. Uh, he took he took a bullet for the team. He took a he took a hit on that one from the team because that is a difficult passage to preach on. And uh, I see that we still have members in the congregation. We still have a church that is left intact after that. So he must have done a good job and, and the spirit must have been in it. And we thank the Lord for him for doing that for us. We come to you this morning with a message that is entitled, The Truth, The Whole Truth, and Nothing But The Truth, So Help Us God. So Help Us God. And it will come from various texts uh, and you will soon find out which text they are. If you have your Bible, I would ask you to uh, maybe turn to these. You might even do better with a pencil or a pen and some paper and write these down and, and look them over once you get home. A brief outline, just three points here. And we're talking about knowledge and the truth. Knowledge and the truth. How many would agree that knowledge and truth are not the same thing? They're not. You have a whole lot of knowledge that has been given to you from various people, various sources, and not one lick of it be true. None of it can be true. That's why it's important for us to have not only knowledge, but have truth. Is that right? Because knowledge by itself can puff you up. It can make you big in the head, swell your head to the point where nobody can say anything to you or teach you anything, right? And that person has, in essence, become an educated fool. So the beginning of knowledge and truth, and then we have the pathway of knowledge and truth, because knowledge and truth, it's a process, isn't it? There's a path that you can go down in order to receive knowledge and truth. And I want to caution you which path you go down. I want to caution you from where you get your knowledge and your truth. It's safe to say that the most authoritative 
place to get your knowledge from. The safest place to get your knowledge from is the pure, unadulterated word of God. In case there's any confusion, that's, that's from the Bible. That's the scripture, right? The holy scriptures that we find in the Bible. And as is the case when you have a beginning and you have a path, there is usually an end point or destination. And that is the last point, the end point or destination of knowledge and truth. As a brief introduction, many of us no doubt have actually had some involvement with or have some knowledge of court proceedings in the courts. Maybe you've watched some court television. Maybe you've had the misfortune of being selected for jury duty more than once. The first time it's good to do your civic duty, right? To be part of the process. But when they start calling you three and four and five times and you gotta lose work and money and everything else, then it can become an issue. Maybe some of you do enjoy that, I don't know. Many, uh, possibly some, have, have been in the court and hopefully it was to be a witness and not to be a defendant. But in the event that you were a defendant, you probably saw that there were some clerks in there. There was a court reporter and a transcriptionist, maybe a, ba a bailiff. Hopefully he didn't have to lay hands on you. There's witnesses. There's the defendant, there's the plaintiff, there's the jurist, and then comes in the judge and all rise. Shortly after that, what you find is that there is some testimony that begins in this court of law. And there's a question that is asked of any witness that comes up. And there's something that they have to do. Now, this might not be in every court in the land because we're getting too sophisticated in this land now to have the Bible be in the courtroom, much less lay your hand upon the word of God and then swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help you God. Why is this question asked? Why don't they just say, don't you promise to tell the truth? Why is it not assumed, assumed that you will tell the truth? It's because people lie, don't they? People lie and they have all kinds of reasons for lying, don't they? Not telling the truth. One might think that if you just say, well, do you swear to tell the truth? That could be it. But that's not enough, is it? It's not enough to say, do you promise to tell the truth by itself? That's not enough. The question is, do you promise or swear to tell the truth? And then it goes on beyond that and says, the whole truth. What does that mean? What, what, what do you mean? What do you mean, the whole truth? I mean, ain't it just truth? What does the whole truth mean? Huh? That, that means don't leave nothing out, right? We don't want half the truth. We don't want three quarters of the truth. We don't even want seven eighths of the truth, right? We want the whole truth, right? So not only do we want you to tell the truth, but we want you to tell the whole truth, right? But also said something else. He said, nothing but the truth. What do you mean nothing but the truth? You already got me telling the truth. You already got me telling the whole truth. 
But now you're telling me, don't add nothing either? I can't take nothing from it, and I can't add nothing to it. Huh? I mean, you boxing me in a corner here now. I mean, if you ain't careful, I might be forced to tell what? The truth. The truth. The whole truth. And nothing but the truth. But then they took it a step further because they realized something. And that is, is that in and of yourself, you don't have the power to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You need some help from outside. You need some outside help from an external source, an authoritative source, one that has power not only to help you tell the truth, right? But bring out the truth too, right? Now we understand from this that we need some help. And that's why it is, it says, so help you God, because they knew that you was gonna need some help to tell the truth. Do you know that telling the truth of the gospel message that we need to do the same thing? Hmm? Hmm? Telling the gospel message is the truth, isn't it? Right? And God expects for us to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But he understands that we're going to need some help, aren't we? Because God is the only one that can help us with that. But we got to lean on him, don't we? We got to trust on him. We got to seek him, don't we? So that we can tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Do you know doing that kind of thing can cause you some troubles, some problems? Hmm? You can mess around and lose some friends, some acquaintances, some associates. You might even mess around and lose a family member. You might lose a job. Hmm? Is that right? And the worst thing possible that can happen to a person in these days, you might even get canceled. You might get canceled. You can't buy and sell. You can't get a job nowhere because they just done ruined you. Huh? Because you told the truth. You would think that that would happen to somebody who was telling a lie, wouldn't you? Huh? See, back in the old times when they wanted to stop somebody from getting information out, it wasn't the person that was lying that they would cut the tongue out of. Huh? Why is that? Because the one doing the cutting, he's a liar too, right? Right? And, and the person lying is just doing what he does, right? But the one that they cut the tongue out of is the one who was telling the truth. Why? Because the truth might expose them for the wrong that they were doing. So we got to shut them up. But that is not what God would have us to do to stop the truth, nor be afraid to tell the truth. You see what they did to Jesus for telling the truth, right? And if they did it to Jesus, what do you think they might do to you for telling the truth? Let's go to John chapter 8, 
And I, I know already that we are not going to get through all of this. I'm going to try to, uh, maybe it'll be a part two to this. We'll see. John chapter eight, verse 31 and 32. This is the beginning of knowledge and truth. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. There's a lot in there. We could probably spend the rest of the time just on that. So Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed him. This infers that there were some Jews that had not believed him. There's a group of Jews there that he's talking to. Some believed and then some did not believe. And he said to those Jews who had believed, if you continue in my word. So what's the first step? The first step is, is that you have to believe in Jesus, don't you? Trying to tell the truth and not believing in Jesus don't even go together. Because he is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by him. So you have to believe in the embodiment of truth who is Jesus Christ. But not only can you just, do you have to just believe, you have to continue to believe and continue to walk in him. It says it right there. They believe first. And then he said a condition, an if-then statement. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. If you don't continue to walk in him, if you do not continue in his word, then what does that say about you? That you're not his disciple. It's not enough to believe, right? Because I believe it was James who said what? That the devil, the demons, they believe. They believe who Jesus is. They know who he is. And not only do they believe and know who he is, but they take it a step further and they tremble because they understand his power, right? And they fear him rightfully so. Is that right? We know there was a demon that was in a man who came running up to Jesus and the demon starts speaking and talking to Jesus and said, have you come to cast us into the pit before it's time? Because they knew who Jesus was. And Jesus told him to shut up, be quiet, stop talking. And guess what he did? He stopped talking, didn't he? Because he understood the authority of Jesus. So you have to believe in Jesus and you have to continue in his word then you will be truly his disciple, right? And a disciple is nothing but a learner, right? One who follows a master and learns. But are you there yet? Nope. It says, then you will know the truth. You will know the truth and you will know a lie when you hear it, right? You will know the truth. You will know the whole truth. You will know nothing but the truth, as God continues to help you, right? As you walk in the truth, in the word of God, in Jesus, right? And you will truly be a disciple of Jesus. 
It is only when you know the truth that you can be liberated. It is only when you know the truth that you can have discernment, right? You can look at what somebody's saying and what they're doing, and you can line it up with the truth that you already know, and you can tell whether or not it is the truth or something else, right? Huh? Because a lot of people like to use semantics, right? Hmm? Let's just talk in black and white. It is the truth or it's a lie, right? It's the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Because we all know, and we've heard it said, that when you take a little bit of, 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 of a lie, you mix it in with the truth, what do you have? You got a lie. That's what you got. An analogy I always like to use is, do I want a glass of crystal clear spring water or do I want a glass of spring water with a drop of cyanide in it to drink? Hmm? If I got a choice, I'm gonna pick the one over here, right? I don't care how thirsty I am. I'm not gonna drink this one over here, even though it only has a drop in it. I don't want to ingest even that small drop. So we have to have some discernment when it comes to what we allow to come in to our minds. And the truth will make you free. Make you free. Isn't that what people want? They want to be free, don't they? Isn't that why kids decide that they no longer want to be at home at some point in their life? They want to be free. They want to be out on their own, right? Isn't that why that we, we don't necessarily want to have too many laws and rules and regulations? Because people just don't like rules and regulations and laws, do they? Right? Well, guess what? If people would start doing what they're supposed to do, we wouldn't need none of them. But the reason for the laws is because man has shown time and time again that he cannot do the right thing. He needs some help. He needs some friendly reminders, doesn't he? Got to have some friendly reminders. So we are being freed from the bondage of sin. That is its power, its influence that it has over us. We are being freed from those consequences that come, the penalties, right? We are being freed from the very influence of sin one day as we prepare ourselves to go to heaven to be with God. This is like the old folks used to say, the dressing room. We are preparing ourselves for heaven. As we continue on with this idea of beginnings, we see here that in the Ephesian letter, Paul gave to the Ephesians a list of things that God provided for the church. And Jesus provides for uh, the church everything that we need for life, for practice, for edification, for security even, for salvation, justification, redemption, sanctification, and one day glorification. He wants us to mature and not stay as children. Now, what does that mean? That means acting like a child, speaking like a child, and thinking like a child. In short, what he wants for us to do is to become spiritually mature. That is to say, we should not be at the same point today, spiritually speaking, that we were a year ago, two years ago. God forbid it's been five years and we still 
are drinking Similac and Infamil and needing to be burped, right? Hmm? And be spoon-fed, right? Because we don't even know how to get into our own Bible and feed ourselves. Huh? Just open up the book and start reading, right? If you got to close your eye and take one finger and put it on the page, do that. But eat something. Don't wait a whole week, right? Before you get some spiritual food. Don't wait on the pastor. Don't wait on the preacher. Don't wait on the Sunday school teacher. And don't wait on the Tuesday night Bible study teacher. You do have the ability to feed yourself, don't you? But one thing I find is that a lot of the people don't do that because they just don't have a taste for the word. They have taste for other things instead. Hmm? Now, I'm going to ask a question. I don't want you all to answer this out loud because my, my goal is not to offend or to embarrass anybody, but just ask yourself, do you truly, honestly love the word of God? Now, as you answer that question, look back on the course of this week and think about how many days you read from the word of God. And I don't mean just reading. I mean, digesting it, which means in spiritual terms, studying the word of God, right? I didn't say tasting, right? Because when you read one chapter and you go to bed, and you get up the next morning, you don't even remember what you read, you might as well just taste it, right? That's good for making a habit, establishing a habit, but you have to get the word of God in you and get it past your mouth, right? You can sit up here and eat a whole bunch of food and spit it out and it does your body no good. You, you got to taste it, hmm? you got to smell it, right? You got to chew on it, right? But then you spit it out. And it didn't get into your body, did it? It didn't do your body any good, did it? So I asked the question again. Do you love the word of God? Do you find yourself meditating on the word of God daily throughout the day? Do you use the word of God as a filter to determine how you respond to that person who says something kind of off to you, something kind of crooked to you, huh? somebody who cuts you off and does something to you that you don't like. Do you filter your response and your words and your thoughts through that which you have studied, that which you have read, that which you have internalized? Does it govern your every thought? Some of you might be thinking, well, come on, preacher. Now that, that's a little bit too much. That's just, that's doing too much. Hmm? Well, we all have a worldview, don't we? We all have a lens by which we assess our environment, the world around us, don't we? Hmm? And our worldview will dictate how we react and how we respond to certain things in the world. And if we don't have a biblical worldview, then we are subject to have some of these other worldviews. And there's plenty of them, aren't there? Hmm? And sometimes our Christian worldview can become clouded and we can turn that Christian worldview into a whole bunch of things that are not even biblical. You understand how I made the distinction between a biblical worldview and a Christian worldview? They should be synonymous, shouldn't they? 
but there's a whole lot of people calling themselves Christians out there who don't crack the Bible not one day out of the week, who don't go to church, hmm? except on Easter and on Christmas. And it's been two years since they did that because of COVID. Hmm? These are questions we need to ask ourselves. We need to be mindful of these things because they are definitely important for us to consider. There are those who seek to undermine these purposes of God and we should be on guard and be alert to identify them when we see or hear them. There's a whole lot of people talking, a lot of people with opinions, right? with ideas, ideologies, that they are trying to cram down the throat of society. And little by little, it is very insidious and it can cause us to lose some footing, some ground as we give in to this and to give in to that. Little by little, whether it be the music we listen to, whether it be the movies we watch, whether it be the shows that we look at, the language we use, the activities that we engage in, that is something that Spurgeon called the downgrade. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, theologian, he called it the downgrade. You start at a pinnacle, which is where you're supposed to be, but all you got to do is step to the left, to the right, step back a little bit, go forward, and you're no longer on the pinnacle. What happens as you start moving to the left or to the right? You start sliding down the side of the pyramid until you hit the bottom. And guess what happens as you start slipping down a hill? You pick up speed, don't you? More damage occurs on the way down, doesn't it? Some people don't even survive the whole trip down, do they? They die somewhere along the way before they hit rock bottom. Our goal should be to try to stay up on that pinnacle, right? Don't lose any ground. Don't give up any ground. Keep fighting and keep seeking after the truth. The scripture tells us that we should always speak the truth in love. What does that mean, speak the truth in love? Does that mean that everybody's going to love you after you speak the truth? Huh? Does it mean they're going to like you? after you speak the truth. Hmm? Will they even be able to tolerate you if you speak the truth? Let's go down a little bit further. When you speak the truth in love, what does that mean? That doesn't mean, oh, you use nice swelling words that make the person feel at ease and you disarm them with this verbiage and that verbiage. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about speaking the truth to them because you are motivated by love. So I think all of us can agree that if we saw that a family member of ours was struggling with drugs, addiction of some sort, that we would feel compelled to say something to them, to speak to them about what was going on and tell them that the reason why I'm saying it is because I love you. I care about you. I don't want to see anything bad happen to you. 
I know what the end is going to be if you continue to live this way. I don't want that to happen to you. I don't want that to happen to me. I don't want that to happen to our family, your friends, your acquaintances, or anyone else. I want your best interest. That is what I have in mind. And that can go for alcohol, drugs. I can go for a child who wants to continually put their hand on the stove or play in the dog's bowl while he's eating or playing out in the street after dark, being outside, doing things that could potentially end up in catastrophe. But if you see behavior that is being exhibited by an individual that you know, that the Bible clearly says that people who practice these things shall not enter the kingdom of heaven, which means that they shall enter the pit of hell and you don't say anything to them about it. Are you really showing love to them because you want to spare their feelings? Because you don't want to hurt their feelings? Because you don't want to say anything that is going to offend them. The gospel message does not need your help to be offensive. You can tell somebody what the Bible says in the nicest possible way. And because of the nature of the gospel message, which condemns sin, it will be offensive to every single one of us. Every single one of us. And it is not until they realize that they need a savior that they will ever be saved. Jesus said it best. He said, the well have no need of a physician. Well, what are you talking about, Jesus? The well have no need of, of course they don't need a physician. What do you mean? Hmm? You don't have people showing up to the ER saying, yeah, I just figured I'd come hang out here in the ER for five hours. There's nothing wrong with me. I just figured this would be a nice place to hang out and have nothing better to do with my time. They don't do that. They don't go hang out at their doctor's office in the waiting room, hoping that they just get to, you know, talk to the doctor, you know, small talk. They have better things to do than that. Well, who is it that shows up? to the ER? Who is it that shows up to the doctor's office? It is the one that knows in and of themselves that there is something wrong with me. There is something that goes beyond my ability, my expertise to be able to cure myself of what's going on with me. I need some help. I need some help. I need some medication. I need something because what I'm going through right now is not something that I can deal with? What have they recognized? That they are sick. Unless a person realizes that their soul is sick and that they are in need of a savior and they're interested in going to the very best physician there is to take care of this problem that they have, they will never ever get cured of it. They may try Buddha, they may try Vishnu, they may try Allah. They may try a whole bunch of other remedies. 
But the Bible tells us that there is only one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus Christ. That there is only one way, only one truth, and that is Jesus Christ. I didn't say it. I didn't make up the rules. I'm just trying to live according to them. And that is what we need to do. There's too much at stake, right? Do you want to look back and say, you know what? I should have said something to them, but they wanted to live this lifestyle. They wanted to continue doing this and doing that. And I didn't want to offend them. And, and by all means, I did not want to appear to be politically incorrect. So I did not say anything to them. Did not want to come off as being intolerant or judgmental. But here they lie dead in an unrepented state, in an eternal hell, without hope in the world or in the life to come. And you missed out on the opportunity. They missed out on an opportunity that maybe was with you, right? Maybe God intended for you to be that person to say something, to plant that seed, to sprinkle that water, but it never got done because you didn't want to offend them or lose a friend. We can't walk around in fear. There's too much at stake. Too many people who are dying. When we look at this continuation of beginnings, we have to make sure that the word of God is something that is in us. It is something that we can draw up at the moment's notice. We can't be fumbling through our Bibles trying to find this and find that. We need to be able to be familiar with the principles of scripture so we can convey those to people when we need to, which means we got to stay prayed up. We have to stay uh, read up and studied up, right? And then rely upon the Holy Spirit to give it what, what we need at the moment that we need it. And this is what Peter was saying here in 1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. So what we need to do is inoculate ourselves, don't we? We need to get an immunization, right? Uh, we know about immunization. Some of you probably done had one shot at least, maybe two, right? And that is in an effort to protect you from something that you have not already been exposed to so that when you are exposed to it, you rec your body recognizes it right off the bat and it sends in the troops and fights it all before it gets to a point where it takes you out, right? It is the same way with God's word. We need to inoculate ourselves daily with the word of God. That is, get the word of God into us so that when the world brings that foolishness to us, right, we are able to brush it right off, get rid of it, right? So how can we inoculate ourselves? How can we um, immunize ourselves 
and, and then help others to do likewise, because that's the whole point. We want to be able to transfer that to another. There is this process whereby a mother who has immunity to something can transfer that from herself unto her unborn child so that when they come into the world, they are not impacted by that particular illness. It is a transference from one to another. It can be done through breast milk. And that's why they tell mothers to do that because you can transfer that from yourself to your child. In a spiritual sense, we can do the same thing. But you still got to get it on the inside, don't you, right? I can have all of the immunizations, the spiritual immunizations, the inoculations in my household. And if my children decide that, mm, no, nah, I don't want that. Mm, nope, I don't want that, right? And they grow up and grow up and grow up and then they grow out. They're going to be in God's hands, right? God is going to have to find some other means by which to inoculate them to immunize them, right? And it might be the school of hard knocks that they got to go to. They may have to hit rock bottom. They may have to be out there in the street somewhere. Who knows? My prayer is that God will use any means necessary to get the job done. And I don't care what they got. I don't care what he has to do to get them saved, right? I mean, I'm the kind of kid, I, I didn't need a whole lot of going upside my head, you know, head, neck, and shoulders to get me to straighten up and fly right, right? It didn't take all that. I got enough, early enough, where I did not need a whole bunch of friendly reminders down the road. And I thank God for that. But this generation nowadays, this is a different breed here. They talked about kids with hard heads back in those days. These kids got titanium for skulls now. Hmm? Cobalt, right? The stuff you do a hip replacement with. I mean, it's thick. Seem like nothing going in and nothing coming out. Now, I'm not talking about my kids. I'm talking about some other kids. I don't want my kids to think I'm talking about them from up here again. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to stay off of that. No, the Lord has blessed blessed us with some with some good kids and uh, they ain't perfect just like their father it's not perfect they almost like their mother perfect like her but I'm not perfect all right we're gonna close up with this last part here from and and I am gonna have to come back and do more uh, of this at a, at a later date uh, the Old Testament also tells us about beginnings the law of the Lord is perfect restoring the soul hmm? now, is this your opinion of scripture do we have this kind of reference for god's word hmm? is this something that we can testify to the old testament in psalm 19 7 through 10 tells us about how it is to love God's word and see the benefits of not just reading God's word, but getting the word of God inside of us. The law of the Lord is perfect, 
restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The perceptions of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. I can't really think of, of another way that could express a true love for God's word than those words. Do you find yourself thinking of God's words, his word, in those terms? Or is it something that you can just kind of take or leave? Is it something you say, well, I get a little bit more of that next week if I show up to church, right? You know what happens when you come to church once a week and you miss a week? It becomes what? Two weeks, right? You do that one more time and guess what you just established? A habit. A habit of not going to church. I'm so glad to see all of you here today because you're making another good habit, right? of actually being here in the church, in the physical structure of the church. And we need to make sure that we do that on a regular basis and not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. There are those who can be naive when it comes to the truth. Some people are naive, some people know what the truth is, and they just don't want to do it. But there's some consequences to being naive, though. There's some consequences. If we look at Proverbs chapter 14, verses 15 and 16, it says, the naive believe everything, <laughs> but the sensible man considers his steps. A wise man is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is arrogant and careless. The naive inherit foolishness, but the sensible are crowned with knowledge. What is it telling? It's telling us to think. It's telling us to be sensible, to watch your step, right? The problem is, is that common sense is not always so common, is it? Hmm? We talk about common sense like everybody has it, but some people you... You look at them and you can tell by the way they live their lives and the things that they say and the outcomes in their lives that they don't have not one drop, not one ounce of common sense, much less the word of God to guide and instruct them, to lead them down a path that leads to not only physical prosperity, but spiritual and mental prosperity. Also in Proverbs one, seven, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But guess what? Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So who is a fool? Well, according to this scripture, it's the one who despises wisdom. And what is wisdom? It is the application of truth. The application of truth. Not just knowledge, but truth. And a fool despises that kind of wisdom. Who is a fool? One who despises instruction from those who are wise and instructed in the truth. 
They're like, you know what? I don't want you telling me what to do. Hmm? I'm grown. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to be my own man. I'm a grown woman. I don't need you telling me what to do. I pay for this and I pay for that. And then I tell them, well, what about that over there? I'm still paying for that. Hmm? What about this over here? I'm still paying for that too. Again, I'm not talking about my kids. I'm talking about something else. See? We have this idea that we are grown, right? But you know what? It has not been that long. Because all I have to do is just look back. I won't even say how long, but it wasn't that long where I forgot how I used to be. Hmm? I look back at what I put my parents through and what they said to me then, and I say, ah, pfft. right? I don't believe in karma, but what goes around comes around, right? And God has a way of letting you know, mm -hmm, see what you did to your parents back then and you thought it was okay? Guess what I'm gonna do to help you to understand that it wasn't okay. I'm gonna put you through the same thing, but just a little bit worse. So you really get the, right? So you really get the, the, the meaning, right? Hmm? But you know what? It's not just that. It is what all people have. Nobody was born into this world saved, right? And if you're truthful with yourself, you will realize and you will be able to put your finger or fingers on something that you were saved from, right? Pastor did a list for us, right? And some of us came away believing, yeah, I got one on that list. No, that ain't accurate either, is it? How many? How many do we, don't answer that, right? We probably ran out of fingers and toes, didn't we? Huh? But that shows that God is still working on us, isn't he? And I cannot expect my 20-something-year-olds and my teenagers to know what I know now after I've had the benefit of going through a whole bunch of high places and low places. Huh? Some difficult times, right? And I didn't get there because I was so smart. I didn't get there because I was in the best situation. I didn't get there because my household that I grew up in was all intact because that was not the case. I got there the same way anybody else gets there, and that is there but by the grace of God go I. Right? Hmm? It's okay if you want to clap for Lord, huh? Because I think you know that's how you got to where you are also. And we're not utterly destroyed. Hmm? We need to count our many blessings every single day and name them one by one, lest we forget where God brought us from. And we also need to look at some of the older people so we can see where God can take us to, right? Deacon Price. Elder wasn't the only one that was encouraged. When you came up last week, and I know that was not your intention to come up here just so you could be seen of men. That was not your intention to come up here, but you had a testimony that you wanted to share and it did us some good to hear that. And there's many of you, you don't know, but I'm watching you. 
I'm watching you. And guess what? I'm not watching you to criticize or to judge, but to learn from you because I see what you go through. I see the situations that you find yourselves in. And when I see you handling those things in a God-fearing, godly way, a biblical way, it helps me to realize, you know what? I too can do that with what? With God's help. So help us God. I'm just standing up here trying to tell you a little bit about the truth. That's it. The whole truth. Right? Nothing but the truth. As God is my helper. This last one from the beginnings, and we'll do the other part at some other time. The fear of the Lord prolongs life but the years of the wicked will be shortened. Yet another reason to fear the Lord, to have reverence for, for God and his word, right? What is the practical outcome or result of showing reverence towards God and obeying his word? Well, this scripture says prolong life. Do you want to have a long life? Hmm? It took me probably 30 years to figure out the correlation between honor thy mother and thy father that thy days might be long upon the earth. Hmm? Because I used to think, well, what? I mean, what if they tell me to do the wrong thing? They don't know everything, right? Why well, I want to do a date? What? Honor them. They better honor me too. Huh? Respect is earned, right? That's what they tell them nowadays. Respect is not earned. Respect is something that you give because of who somebody is in your life. And that person, that person needs to command respect as much as they need to demand respect in other areas, but they shouldn't have to command or demand it. It should be granted. They brought you into the world. And unfortunately now the Protective services and the police done made it so they can't hardly take you out of here like they used to. You used to be able to say, I brought you into the world and I'll take you out. You got to do that on the down low now because they got their phone on record now, right? And they're going to take it to school and give it to the guidance counselor. And then you're going to have protective services knocking on your door talking about, sir, what is this? Hmm? What is this? What, what exactly did you mean by taking them out of the world? What? Are you, are you going to get on one of them fancy, uh, you know, shuttles and whatnot that, uh, that, that, they, that they selling tickets for right now and taking them out? What are you talking about taking them out of the world? Hmm? What exactly did you mean by that? But we don't need to be in fear. There's other ways to get your kids to listen besides that kind of thing, right? We don't need to resort to that. So what is the practical outcome or result of not showing reverence towards God? and disobeying his word well the opposite right a shortened life you end up having a short life and not only will you not get eternal life but eternal damnation this is the beginning of knowledge we need to beyond the introduction or beginning of knowledge be able to get to the point where we are on the path also of knowledge that is, you are walking in that knowledge, not just mere hearers, but doers also, right? Applying that. 
And then when you finally get to that point where you are actually doing the work, will of God, there is a destination, and that destination is heaven, being with God for all eternity. We need to understand that the truth is not something to be trifled with, is not something to be played with or experimented with. We need to understand that objective truth, ultimate truth, has a source, and that source is God. And when we start talking about the truth, we need to be mindful of people who want to claim that they're telling the truth, who are actually not telling the truth. We need to be able to have some discernment and understand that people will say, well, this is the truth because I heard it from so-and-so or I heard it from such-and-such. Such. You might want to believe, right? But you want to confirm it, right? Hmm? Right? You, you can believe what they say, but you want to verify what they're saying with the truth of God's word. You want to make sure that you use the word of God as that means by which you, you, you look at things when you turn in, in terms of uh, your worldview, that lens that you, that you uh, see things through. Uh, more could be said. We're going to go ahead and, and uh, close out now. And I would ask that you in these last and evil days that you make sure that you are familiar with the truth so that when a counterfeit looms on the horizon, when uh, there is something that is not true, that you are able to identify it immediately and, and say what it is. And, and then develop that love for God's word that every child of God should have. There's no reason why a child of God should not be studying the word of God weekly at least and reading your bible daily until you get to a point where you are hungering and thirsting after the word of god if you're not reading every day if you're not studying every day or every week what does that tell you you're not hungering and thirsting after the word of god and that spirit man on the inside don't look good malnourished hmm Failure to thrive, like, I mean, like, to the point where you, you need a feeding tube, right? Somebody need to just siphon it into you because on the inside, you are all shriveled up and you need to, to make sure that you are spending that time in God's word, on your knees, praying, and, 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 and who knows what God will do with you once you get it on the inside, right? It will revolutionize not only your life, but the lives of those who you love and care about. Amen. Thank you all for coming out today to today's service. Those of you who are staying for prayer and anointing, you can start making your way up now. If not, then be dismissed.